0: Hi, and welcome to the Pocket Change Collective. We are four practitioners and friends who love to come together and talk about the life stuff that comes up for our clients and ourselves. Whether you're making a big change, needing support, or just wanting to understand yourself better, this is the place to be. Hey,
1: I'm Amy. I'm a transformational life coach and integrative change worker. And what I really care about the most is helping people feel at home with themselves and in their lives. I'm super excited to be part of this conversation. So thanks for joining us.
2: Welcome to October listeners with the Pocket Change Collective. I'm Joy. I am a queer, Asian-American, Proudly, ADHD life coach for people who are dreamers and wanderers who really want to know who they are and what they stand for and how they want to live their lives. So, you know, I love you if you're indecisive or avoidant. I've been there.
3: I'm Molly, a life coach who lives at the intersection of relationships, neuroplasticity, the human experience, and all the big feelings we want and don't want. A podcast with three equally nerdy magical change workers is a dream come true.
0: I'm so happy you're here. Hi everyone, I am wishing you a very magical fall. My name is Celestina and I work with people to skillfully steward their capacity and to enhance their connection to their life force. At least that's what I do currently. I'm not exactly a coach, nor a therapist, nor an astrologer, nor a hypnotist, but a more interesting and more dynamic thing. Enjoy the episode. A few notes before we begin the episode. First, a gentle trigger warning. We briefly mentioned death and the implications of grappling with death at the start of the episode. We also start the podcast mid-conversation. So just go with the flow, even if there's some disorientation in the beginning. Lastly, a quick announcement. We'll be hosting a group coaching call November 1st. All the details and the registration link will be in the show notes. This is an amazing opportunity to work one-on-one with us for only $7. And now, a warm welcome to our conversation. Is it okay to live my life at 50% just because like other shit is constantly taking the other 50? And so these are all things I'm grappling with as well.
2: I'm actually wondering as we're sort of heading into the hour mark, like, it could be kind of cool to do a, a session just on, like, what to do when you can't dodge the shit. Like, I feel like this eclipse season part that you were bringing in would be a really good thing to start with, because I feel like a lot of people are feeling a lot of shit right now. And, like, that's a message that isn't really talked about, that sometimes you're like, I used all my tools, now what? I mean, I would, like, I would like a slightly more optimistic bent. Like, I'm not totally sure how to put in the part with like, here are some things you also can do, but I do think it's like a really great, really substantial topic. I'm totally
3: playing in that space right now <clears throat> with the idea, and I may have mentioned it to you guys the last time we talked, but did I tell you about the conversation um, I had in with Luis Mojica? Did I, is, is this a group? Oh. Did I share this with you guys? Basically, it was this massive, like, honestly, I can honestly say it's just a turning point and I'll never see anything different. And you think, why? why now? Like, maybe I've heard this a thousand times. But the idea was basically, even when I think I'm not okay, I'm okay. And it's pretty, it's kind of an existentially thing but Mm -hmm. he was talking about like he would go and sit with people on their deathbeds and he's like, they're okay. And all the times in my life, and so I've even been doing like kind of what we do, um, we learned with Melissa. I've been going back into parts of my life, like meta pattern, if you want, Will, and just watching that even in my worst moments, how was I okay in that moment? And now it's like, everything could fail. And the truth is my experience is gonna be what my experience is. And my tools are gonna maybe keep me afloat and maybe even at times they aren't. And even then there's an element of okay, if I live that I'm going to be able to look back and go in these ways, I was okay. And Mm -hmm. I might not live. And then, and that's
0: okay too. So this is like super, I don't know. I don't want to be like triggering. I (laughs) love that. No, because like, can I just say like, for me, I had to move into this space around COVID because I was having what ended up being mold felt like long COVID at a time when this virus was killing people. And I really like, in my experience, like my understanding of my experience was like that I might die, I might have gotten COVID and and like I would be a mom leaving young kids behind. And so I really had to go to this space of like, what would that mean? And it did involve like ultimately ending up in this place of like, even if I die, like life goes on. Life is not about me. And even if I die, like my kids will be fine. And if I die, there's still this, like, and it's so funny because I sense sometimes I want to bring this in with clients. And it's also like a place you kind of have to get to on your own. And it's scary. It's such a scary place to be like, I'm, j- I'm just going to tuck, touch in to this, like, to this part of life, you know? And also, like, when we do, there's such freedom once we, like, grapple with it. And things settle. So yeah, yeah, I've I vibe with you. And also, I also have the experience of like this is macabre. Like I wouldn't just tell this to anyone, you know, like and it's so healing and so profound for me. Yeah. I, I want to piggyback on that because um this is I, I this has been
1: part of my like interest for a long time, but I I really like uh like near death experience stories, NDEs. And like, I've read a lot about them and read the books and, but there's like a YouTube channel that's like, I think it's called The Other Side NDE. And it's really cool. It's just these random videos of people who've had near-death experiences. And um, <laughs> like with without exception, and people have like lots of variations in their story. Like some people's are a little religious and some people's aren't and with without exception, the stories that people are telling are like this like reality that we're in right now where we're like, Oh, this is crappy. Like this is actually not the real reality that these people experience when they have the near death experience and, and they, they come back into, you know, their, their body or living. And um, (laughs) when you were saying it's macabre and you wouldn't share it with too many people, like I've (laughs) made a mistake at times, sometimes like, like if I'm in an argument with my partner, I'll say, not, not in the midst of an argument, but kind of in that context, I'll say, oh, I, I love listening to these near-death experiences because they just make me feel like this is not it. And it's like, in certain contexts, like other people don't understand that. (laughs) They're like, why, what, you want to, you want to die? You want to, but I, for me there, it really speaks so much. And I think the, Molly, what you were saying about the like, I'm okay, even when I seem to not be okay. I think it's, I think it's our brains. I think it's the, the software we're running that tells us we're not okay. Because when people, what you said really reminded me of the work of Byron Katie, and I don't know if you follow her at all, but she will say, you know, you could be getting kicked out of your house and you're sitting on the curb and what are you doing? Oh, like you're just there. You're just noticing the day, and you're like her. Her reality is, or at least she's able to portray it. Life is just in these moments, and it's the program that we're running that says this is not okay. So um, I love that.
2: Do we want to do any any official start, or is this more like we'll just start? What do you
0: think? I love you know what- you can settle on a topic listen can I feel like we've already started and I feel like this is looking perfect for October like let's just do this like we've gone to a dark place I think it's going to resonate with enough people I think it's fun I think it's very Octoberific I'm just going to bookmark this but Amy while you were talking the way that we sanitize fairy tales for kids in modern times versus what fairy tales used to be and how maybe touching something so scary and so disgusting is important for human experience to be close to that and to like edge around that and pass that even as a kid. And also this idea of um, how the caregiver's presence is so important when we're coming into contact with something so fearful. Um, So yeah, I, I mean, I'm like, yeah, this is a great podcast. I have a lot I wanna say and I wanna give other people space, so.
2: The, the piece that this is really bringing up for me is one of my favorite writers, Ocean Bong. What he does is he does a Buddhist death meditation each morning, which is where you think about all the people that you love dying and like really sit with that. And, I, and probably yourself as well. I've never specifically taken up this practice, but sometimes I'll do it in moments. Not only to remind myself that things are okay but also it kind of brings you in contact with with beauty like you know the most beautiful shabbat i've ever been to was inside this container truck like there were no decorations and there were there was nothing else and we were all huddled inside because it was raining and it was at burning man and like everything was really muddy and it really felt like we were in the middle of this terrible situation But the contrast with that and like being in this service and being gathered together and singing, like you feel so brilliantly alive and appreciative.
3: Yeah, I think that's, I'm really intrigued. You said, um, yeah, the Buddhist death meditation, who was that? Ocean.
2: Ocean Bong. bong.
3: Yeah, I think there's so much to this. It's, it's perspective um, along these lines, like we're so tiny. We're, we're just specks and not to, um, I have so much reverence for human life, so I don't mean to diminish it in that way, but also, yeah, the things that matter to us sometimes in the day-to-day we we need perspective to see sometimes that it doesn't matter and so yeah I love that idea of just the way that facing our own death and facing our own mortality actually can make life so sweet and all of the simple things that we take for granted become treasured in light of death and what massive resources we have when we think we're not okay and then I go I'm in a house right now I have hot water I have food I have clothing and that can sound so dismissive when you when you hear it from certain lights but when you think of how massive that is that's what I'm talking when I go. I'm okay. I'm also experiencing grief, or I'm also experiencing stress from rupture with a partner, and I have so much stability. There's actually so much that's okay. Yeah, I and mean, then I feel feeling, like- feeling that stability actually settles me down, and then I am able to interact in a, in a way that i wouldn't have found before because i'm like well yeah of course i've got those things
2: um i was just going to say that it it actually to me feels like the opposite of gaslighting like clear lighting or something to be like yeah you could die everyone in your life that you care about and love could die we are all mortal and especially since you know as a group we talk a lot about capitalism I feel like capitalism is trying to say work is the most important part making money is the most important part I don't really think capitalism likes to acknowledge that we're mortal because then a lot of the things that we're buying become meaningless right it's
0: interesting I mean I it's funny that you brought in capitalism cuz I was just thinking about you know this conversation started with like whoa this is such a weird thing like to to touch into death in this really direct way and to like especially if you're meditating on it every morning to like be in touch with it in this repeated like intense way and I think about you know collectively what we're doing as a culture which is like moving towards an apocalypse and the way that people are responding I feel like in increasingly avoidant ways like increasingly chasing escapism or pleasure or like consumption and I really feel like what is being called for and what would be really helpful is what would feel like a tipping point and what would feel like making a is this touching into like the, the pain and the ouchiness and the mortality. And I do think, again, in this really ironic backwards way, it's, it's extremely healing and rightening. It puts things back in integrity Mm -hmm. when you can touch in with like, there is a climate crisis. There is all this gun violence, like life is so unpredictable and scary. And I'm actually going to like sit with that And be, and Molly, to your point, like be okay, find a way to be okay with that. And this reminds me, I don't remember where I heard this, but like, there's this really interesting idea around how people feel fear any and all change because like it unconsciously puts them in the mind of death. Like death is the ultimate change. Like death is the ultimate like transformation And then someone was saying, like, it's not actually death that is, like, the final problem. People are afraid of death because of something around pain. So, again, it brings it back to this idea of if you can just learn how to be tolerant with pain and, like, be with pain, then, like, the fear of death diminishes the fear of change diminishes all these fears diminish because the thing that we're really most afraid of is like pain like to our system. Yeah. I,
1: I love that. And I, um, my, um, some teacher that said this once I forget it was, but you know, it was like when we're when you're fixated on a problem in your life, ask yourself, how will I feel about this in 200 years? And it, for me, that question lifts myself out of my human experience. <laughs> and it's like, there's some part of me that's not just this and my thoughts. And it it immediately diminishes the, the problem, but it also puts, it gives me a broader perspective somehow of who I am, even if there's no clear picture of what that is.
0: Oh my gosh, so. I love that question, especially the 200 years part. 200 years
1: how will you feel about this 200 years from now
0: yeah it does when I grapple or when I did grapple and continue to grapple with pain and my own death I find it does help to locate myself in a very vast trajectory. Like if I can think of like my entire ancestral lineage and like when humans first began and all the animals and the earth and like life is like a concept, not as like, like I have my own idea around what, like what life should be or like what constitutes life and just understanding that like life is determined and it will go on whatever form It can, and it does not prioritize any form. It does not prioritize humanity or like humanity continuing. And that can actually be a really beautiful and freeing thought. (laughs) Like like if axolotls take over the world or. (laughs) That would be cute. But I, I love that because it is a comfort to me to zoom out in time and just, and be like, I'm, you know, what's that saying? Like you're not responsible for like tying up the work, but neither are you free to abandon it or whatever. It's like, there's there are just these collective forces and just like a collective trajectory that we are just too, not too small, but like we're we are just a piece and it's not a bad thing because there's different scales, but it can be really lovely to hop scales when we need to for a sense of greater spaciousness yeah what
2: that really makes me think of is you know something I've seen in both Sophie Strand's work she's a writer who writes about like disability and chronic illness about how like the pain doesn't get smaller you just grow bigger around it and so this part about you know growing to a lineage or like growing to like the space and history of the time that's actually a way of expanding around the pain and the other part is that I personally don't believe that we're meant to hold this much pain each person on their own like we're meant to hold it in community and we're meant to hold it in groups and so when I think about my own pain and I imagine or I'm gathered in community with other people who are able to hold it with me that also allows me to grow larger around it rather than just be like one individual holding it
0: Oh my gosh, that reminds me. I also, speaking of macabre stuff, I love this. Like, let's just go there. I had a moment where I was like really rabbit holing around grief and the concept of grief and how to process grief and how to grieve and all the things that bring grief and all the different types of grief. And I remember, and it was in a moment of my own deep grief, just realizing how inadequate our culture is for holding community spaces for grief. Like we have funerals and that's it like we don't have like recurring like grief circles or grief spaces and you know if people grieve in public like there's just all this like I don't know what to like do I say I'm sorry like I don't even know what to say to a person who has lost something or someone there's just there's so much there's nowhere to practice or express any sort of anything around grief like being the person with the grief or being the person supporting the person with the grief and I remember just being like, it would be so nice if we had like grief spaces where people could just come and grieve collectively and it happened often and recurringly and it was normal and available. That is really cool. that idea. I think if
3: you relate it, that's part of why we're so afraid of death because we don't know
0: how to grieve. We've never been taught how to grieve. And that's such a key part of death. There's the, that's the piece that comes when you lose the thing you love.
3: Yeah. Totally. What if when you were growing up, you witnessed your mom, let's just say your mom for an example. And you witnessed your mom grief, grieve, and she wails and moves her body. And then she's okay after that. And you watch that happen over and over and it just normalizes like, this is just part of
0: life. And I do think it's, I feel like in some cultures that is normalized. Like I remember, again, like I don't remember where I heard this, but this story of where like grief is really public and people will just be on the streets wailing and it will just be understood that this person is grieving. And they are also just able to be very free because I do think grief, it comes at you so unexpectedly that it's really lovely to be free around it because it will just hit you out of right. nowhere. And I think we practice like suppressing it and then trying to like access it later in a more private place. And that may or may not happen because I don't think we ever create that time and place. And it's also good just to encounter it organically when it comes, I think that's the best of all. Um. What was I gonna say? Oh, there was just another quote that I read somewhere where it was, a white Western person, encountering like a brown indigenous person and just remarking on their, just essence that they were giving off was like just very joyful and free and like asking about it, being curious about it, inquiring about it and just being like, you know, like you seem so like joyful and light, like what is this? And the, the indigenous person responding, oh, it's because I cry daily. You know, like and and crying, is just also such a, like a lightning and a metabolizing that is just such an easy thing to do. Like, I don't think we, you know, with self-growth and self-awareness, a lot of times we can grapple with the tool or with the concept, like, are we learning? Are we doing it right? And like, no one's like, am I crying? Right. Like the body just takes care of it, which is also so. Am I napping? Am I sleeping a lot? Am I crying a lot? (laughs) Just like, it's like, it's built in and it works every time. Yeah. And it's just, it's
1: just energy. Like it's just energy leaving the body in a certain way and, you know, or or like, like the weather rolling through and you're right. I think, I think um, we live in a culture where it's just, it's just not appropriate in those places to show that to be sitting and to be crying or just be sitting and being in grief. And, and I also think that our our program that we run that we are conditioned with tells us, you know, do that, do that later in private or like, you know, whatever, be strong. Don't show that, you know, like a mom, like, right. I mean, I think a lot of, I've heard, I've heard parents say I had to be strong for my kids. Like I couldn't show my grief for my kids. So I love your example, Molly, of like the mother
0: who wails, I do think this makes me think of what our Western perception is of a parent-child relationship and where we might actually be getting that really wrong. In these trauma trainings I'm doing, there was like, I don't know that it was necessarily a study, but it was just like an observation where there was like a war and like the city was getting really heavily bombarded. And so the decision was made to send the children to the country to like protect them and to get them out of this traumatic environment that was like very scary and violent. And when all was said and done and people really looked at the children that had remained in the city, like exposed to the bombing versus the kids that had gone to the countryside. It turns out that the kids that had gone to the countryside were actually had more issues and seemed more traumatized and the conclusion was that even though the kids in the city were exposed to this really scary environment and circumstances, they had their primary caregiver there. And that was, that was the piece that I kind of wanted to come back to around like fairy tales. I think sometimes we think the circumstance externally is the scary thing. And what actually really changes how our system perceives and creates or like metabolizes fear around that is like the co-regulation of a trusted caregiver of like, you know, Joy, to your point, just like this idea of community and connection. Like if you have people that can hold that with you or support you around that, then these things that just on paper, you're like, of course, that's traumatic as fuck. Like it's war. It's this can actually be metabolized by the system in a way where you're like, it didn't, it was, it was fine with that. Okay. Like, so that's also really interesting too. And I think I was just having a conversation with a client earlier where I was like, I don't think we fully understand how safe kids feel around a trusted adult. Like, as adults, we know that the world is scary and it's very hard for us to feel like very safe just because like another person is nearby. But for kids, even though it feels like magical and wild, like that is what it is to them, you know, like they. So it's interesting to. to fold that in. I don't know where I'm going with that.
2: I was going to say this really reminds me of David Bedrick's unshaming work is like what happens in an experience, let's say in a traumatic experience is really defined by the kind of witness that you have in that moment. And that often, for instance, in a situation where something traumatic happens, and even if someone was watching and didn't say anything or didn't do anything that that is also something that like leads to the shame and the guilt and the other things that follow the experience versus just being like, oh, that was a painful experience in the moment. And, you know, what his work really makes me think about is sort of like how many of us as adults are able to be compassionate witnesses to ourselves in the moment versus being a judgmental witness a blaming witness a critical witness you know like on the days when i'm like i need rest what would it be like to have a self with me that said i see how hard you're working at this and it makes sense you're you're needing rest versus having a person with me that's like i thought you said you rested earlier <laughs> you know like or haven't you had enough rest this month Um, and what it's like to be with ourselves, what it's like to teach our clients to be with themselves in the moments when they're needing something and have a compassionate presence with Mm themselves and move through the moment like that, rather than getting caught in, honestly, loops where you're rejected by your own sense of things like you, yourself, Are not good enough for me in this moment.
3: This is not how it's supposed to be. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. If you need lots of rest, something's wrong. What's wrong with me? Or I cry every day. What's wrong with me? Versus this is how things are for me right now. This is
0: how things are. It's never... um it never fails to get reminded of like this idea of like self-compassion or loving kindness towards yourself and others and so I just remember like there's someone I do peer practice with and they we were just checking in with each other and I I was feeling so just like there's this problem in my life I can't figure out and it's a big problem and they were like you know like thanks for sharing that with me. I'm kind of busy right now. I'll get back to this in more detail later. But just like, I would just really focus on loving kindness towards yourself and towards the other person. And I was like, oh, like that helped so much. And it was like, it wasn't a big problem solving thing. I was just like, oh yeah. Thanks, going back to
3: that spaciousness. If you think of like constriction is everything folding in and spaciousness is everything unfurling and there's so much spaciousness in loving kindness
0: and even bringing things that energy relax. of loving kindness to like death and pain and fear and like all the things yeah. that we're running from or want to change or avoid or it... It's interesting how just really quickly it changes the space.
3: To piggyback on the idea of the parent and the child, this goes back to, if you're lucky enough to um, be in a difficult situation as a child and you're a little bit, you don't even know, you don't even understand. So let's, you know, we're going to assume that the child to some extent has an innocence and a a lack of awareness. If that child is lucky enough to be with a parent who does understand the gravity of what's happening and is able to say, you're okay, we're okay, and tucking the child in every night, that's the same idea of being able to bring, I'm okay. It's that ability to self parent a little bit and say I know you know I'm aware that there are these things happening out there and that as an adult you know that there's no guarantee but you're able to in that moment reassure the child you're actually okay we're okay tucking I'm tucking you in and our cozy little bed and we have our routine and there's just such a comfort and you're orienting that child to the fact that the child right then and there is actually okay, even if there's a larger context of unrest or whatever. Um, and I think we were when we haven't grown up with that, which most of us didn't, or it's a scale, you know, to the extent that we did, we have that same capacity as an adult to be able to orient to how am I okay right now? Even though this all is happening and there's no guarantee can my body orient and relax to this moment and all that is all right?
0: I love okay, because it's not safe. It's not happy. It's not these other words that I think we unconsciously like substitute and then freak ourselves out. But like- And feel like we're lying. (laughs) We're going for okay. Yeah, we're going for okay. And that's actually a pretty powerful thing to orient to reminds me of Glennon Doyle she has this story where like she used to tuck her kid in and just be like you know mama's gonna be there for you forever and then increasingly she was like that is so not sitting right with me because it's a lie it's not true and so she changed it she was like you're gonna be there for yourself and like she just she shifted her the way she was reassuring her kid to just be like like you got your own back you know like and it was just an interesting shift Or even
3: I'm here. I'm here because that's the truth and how much comfort in that. One of the ways I've played with this is because I longed, like, you know, when you ask yourself, like, what do I long to hear more than anything else? And I used to long all the time for somebody to say to me, everything's going to be okay. And that's this longing that someday everything's gonna be okay and I just want somebody. But really what happens when I would hear that or when I longed for it was the idea of I would feel okay now. So now just playing with like, I'm okay right now. I There is no promise and that is bullshit that everything's gonna be okay forever. Although I think the natural extrapolation on this bigger level is that everything is okay. But for me to just be able to go, you're okay you're okay right now. And I find it incredibly comforting.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I want to draw a parallel that might seem like a little bit. um, Oh, I don't know. I I won't even preface it. So like my, I am fascinated with ultra marathons. Seems like a change of topic. But I think the reason I'm fascinated with them is not even so much from like a physical perspective. It's it's this what we're talking about. It's a mental perspective because it's a, you know, <clears throat> races of a certain length or runs of a certain length are a journey. It's like you, it, it, you know, 24 hours or more, you can live a whole lifetime in that day. And one of the main themes that comes up for everybody who like tries to do this and 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 the people that I listen to who I really admire in this area is, is staying present, is staying present with what's here right now, keep moving forward, you know, and you go through these cycles of up and down, like you feel on top of the world and then everything hurts. And then you can come out of that and you can feel good again. And you can have problems where you're like, I don't know how to solve this problem. Um, And what is so interesting with this as an example is like, you can learn how to focus your mind on literally just the next step. I'm going to make it to that tree or you know, I'm running this 100 mile race and I'm going to go five more miles because then I'll get to the aid station. I can eat something and sit down and then I'll decide if I'm going to go on. But the thing that's so interesting is like, the people who do really well at these are not necessarily like the most stellar athletes. It's their minds. Their minds can detach from the narrative. I'm not okay. I'm scared. It's dark. What's going to happen. Like their minds can detach from that long enough. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's a 100% healthy endeavor in all ways, but I'm fascinated with it. I think because of that, um, because a lot of times you can, you can be hurting, you can be tired, you can be in the dark, you can be hungry, and you're still okay. And you're and you're just moving.
0: So that's interesting. I think like this idea of like being like staying in the present is so cliche. And I just want to add some like color again, in my research that I've been doing. Um, the other rabbit hole I've gone down is dopamine and addiction. And there's, um, There's this way in which people who have come out of like a really intense addiction that has been like a battle and has like really overcome their life will come out of it with this really interesting, like humility and immediacy where they like, they don't actually have major goals for their life anymore. And it does just become about like, what does this day need? What does this environment need? like who is closest to me that I can serve right now? Like I have these immediate resources, where can I apply them immediately? And like, I don't want to confuse immediacy with urgency, but it's like, it's pulling the horizon in like, this is who I am. This is my space. This is what's available to me right now. And like, let me just fucking go to town (laughs) as opposed to, so I thought that was really interesting. And I do feel like there's a way in which crisis can put us in touch with immediacy in a really healing way. Like there's that saying, chop wood, carry water. Like when everything is coming down, it's that like, just like what's the next smallest task? Do I tidy up my desk? Do I put the kettle on to boil? You know, like, do I like do the laundry? And I remember kind of having this moment where I was like, the stuff that I'm like putting off in regular life, like I don't want to clean my room. Like, I don't want to do the laundry. This is so boring. This is so mundane. Is the stuff that ends up saving me in crisis, the stuff that I really reach for gratefully when I'm like, okay, I just need like something to occupy my mind and my body. So that's what that made me think of.
2: I really want to help that. Oh, okay, I'll be quick. something that I've found that is, you know, in direct opposition to I think what I desire when I'm in a stressful place or a crisis place or like needing to recover. I think often when we're when we're tired and things are going on in our life, the inclination is to be like, I don't have a lot of time. And so I need to do as much as possible. I need to tackle as many tasks as possible so that I can like get back to that feeling of feeling safe. But what I've found is that it's in those times that I actually need the daily practices even more. Like those times are the times I need to journal and I need to like rest and I need to walk um rather than doing even more versus a time when I'm actually doing relatively more okay. And that interestingly, like we're often reaching for the, for the inverse, like, which then ends up getting filled with, you know, screen time or something like that. We're like needing a certain kind of nourishment from ourselves. And that, you know, to, to do these practices in that time feels really counterintuitive a lot of times. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. I was just going to say that that's that being kind of bumped into the immediacy, like either whether it's through crisis or like you said, um, like addiction, um, or, or whatever it, it, all this is going to sound cliche also, but it sounds like a gift actually. It sounds like a gift to get like, like kind of catapulted into that space of, I've, I've just got to, I've just got to stay with the present. And it's actually coming back to my thing about ultra running. Most ultra runners are like former alcohol and drug addicts. also, mm-hmm. and that's probably for a
3: reason, yeah, I want I think it's hysterical just that just that noticing the cliche, however we want to think about it. But, um, I've been thinking lately this idea of like it's almost a trauma response that things have to be hard. It's like, cause then I can go, well, that's too hard and I can't do that. But then I don't like simple stuff. Cause that's too simple. That can't work. And it's like, Oh God, we just, we just have to have a way that it can't work. And that's part of keeping ourselves like in this constricted space versus opening up. But, um, I used to literally have no clue when people would talk about be here now. I literally thought like, I do not know what you're talking about. I don't even understand it because I had never done it. And now I am Totally one of those cliche people. I mean, I it is what it is, but I'm just like, oh my God. To be present is everything. It's it's life. And the fact that we have a human brain that takes us to all these places that we are not, and make, to take back and makes up stories about all these things that are not happening. And the very exact opposite of that is to be here in the directness of the experience that's happening now.
1: Yeah. And that human experience, like the human brain experience is like the VR headset. And it's like, when are you going to like, I mean, I'm I'm still in this for my meditation teacher, but like, when do you take off the VR headset Yeah. and just be here and be present,
3: just be here. And in that moment you do discover that you are actually okay without the story. This is, I mean, this is that whole Byron Katie thing without the story and I'm not suggesting I'm Byron Katie or I will ever be Byron Katie but I love just even just it's it's a stretch it loosens my brain to play with those things and it's like I'm just I'm just sitting I'm just sitting here
0: and not to make it like macabre again but you guys are reminding me of like when I had this really intense like journey around my own death one of the things that helped me was to really continually get perspective from like the animal world. Like I would always be like, you know, like if I was like a jaguar mom and one of my cubs died, or alternatively, if there was jaguar cubs and their mom died, there's just like a matter of factness that's really clean to how nature deals with that, which was also just really like reassuring. Um, and it is one of the unfortunate differences, I think, between humans and animals, is that humans are so susceptible to getting caught in story, and just imagining that beautiful loveliness that an animal has, where it has no access to story, like it has to just be with what's happening. And um, and I remember hearing about how. I don't know how this is true or like how we know that this is true, that animals have a very different relationship with pain than humans do. And it it is just that like matter of factness, that just like willingness to accept and not like struggle with what reality is and like layer stories onto it. And so I just wanted to I'm glad that you reminded me of that. I wanted to fold this in. For me, what's very helpful if like be here now feels very abstract or like I don't know how to do it or if I am grappling with something that I've layered a ton of story on is to be like, let me compare myself to an animal. Like what would an animal do? Like how would nature deal with this situation? And it helps me see what I need to strip away or where where I'm very in my humanness in a not helpful way. I love that.
3: I love it too. And so much compassion for this, for, for what i um, I'm going to call it a burden to be able to imagine all of the worst case scenarios, like the compassion of the, for the human experience and for each of us, it's a lot. It's a lot that we have a nervous system that will attune to all kinds of situations that haven't or, won't happen or may someday, but they'll happen whether or not we want them to. Have you guys seen that video? There's a dad and he's got a toddler who's throwing just a massive fit and he's just sitting there. It's the most beautiful video. He's just on the floor with her and he's holding his arms out to her and she doesn't want anything to do with him. She's just throwing a massive fit for like two minutes. And then she'll kind of come and sit on him and then she'll get off again. And I love this video so much. I'm going to share it with you guys later um, because I always think of that, like I'll picture me as that toddler. Like sometimes there's just things happening and I don't, like it makes me emotional. I don't want it to be. And then it's like, there's this reality and you can picture that man is like, whether it's God or source or just reality, Like you can curl up in my arms. I'm here and you can relax and you can kind of do the, (laughs) you know, after you're done having your big cry, but you also can cry as long as you want to, you can fight and you can rail and it's okay. And I'm still here. And when you're done, you can crawl in my arms and just Mm -hmm. catch your breath. And I'm here and like, I'll just picture myself doing that sometimes when I see I'm just railing against something and I don't want it to be. And it is, and I can rail and rail and rail, and it does not change it. It just, it's just suffering.
1: <laughs> and it's okay. I mean, that's a passing storm. And that's okay. That's a storm that's, right. that's passed
3: through you as just part
0: of exactly. The
3: so it's totally okay. That's all that's right too.
0: I think it's important to normalize that railing, you know, like like no matter how enlightened you are, there will be multiple moments where you will rail. Yep, And that's not a problem. It's energetic.
3: You can see that that guy, that dad, he can see that his kid's okay. Yeah.
2: Hmm. Wonder if this is a good time. I've been thinking about this since. We brought it up at the beginning to um, share a few quotes from, from Ocean Guang. So, his novel is called On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous, which is a title I love and feels like it fits in with a lot of the things we're talking about. Um, I'd like to share two quotes. One of them is We try to preserve life even when we know it has no chance of enduring its body. We feed it, keep it comfortable, bathe it, medicate it, caress it, even sing to it. We tend to these basic functions, not because we are brave or selfless, but because like breath, it is the most fundamental act of our species to sustain the body until time leaves it behind. And then the other one. I am thinking of beauty again, how some things are hunted because we have deemed them beautiful. If relative to the history of our planet an individual life is so short, a blink as they say, then to be gorgeous, even from the day you're born to the day you die is to be gorgeous only briefly.
0: Hmm. I love Ocean Wong. Um, this is definitely me stepping into the weeds. Here's the path, here's the weeds, here's my feet. Um, but I. this just makes me remember how so many indigenous traditions have a relationship with beauty that is very healing and very alive and not at all this like modern day bullshit around like needing to meet a certain aesthetic to be respected. But this idea that beauty feeds the holy and to do things beautifully and mindfully and a much more multidimensional and deeper idea of beauty as like healing and as important. Whereas I think in Western culture, we either like, there's this faction that's like, it's very superficial. And then there's this faction that's like, aesthetics are like a hundred percent, you know, like if my house looks a certain way, I'm okay. Like that's what is what I meant to aspire to. Um, so that's all it made me think of is like, Oh, I, you know, now I could talk for hours about like beauty and how that re- relates to creating and creativity and expression. And, and I won't, but that's just what that made me think of.
2: That would be such a cool topic.
0: Mm-hmm. I think also if we want to kind of Wonder if it does relate to today's topic. Like, how does beauty and just like this tending, you know, the tending of the human body, the tending of life kind of relate to pain and death and fear and all the things?
1: I really like the perspective from the first quote because it was like, it doesn't equate me, for example with the body or with life like life as i think maybe is maybe maybe he meant it or um or the author meant it like life being an experience through a human body which is has a time stamp on it and is going to die um i like that quote cuz it's not equated i'm not the the body with the timestamp going through that experience it's like I'm the one tending to the body it's like growing a garden for a season right I grow my plants and they're gonna die at the end of the season but it's like it's that's not me so I don't know I like that I appreciate that
0: it also is this duality of like yeah, we most definitely are not our meat suit. Like there's so much more going on than like the physicality of our experience. And also the physicality of our experience is such a primary part of our experience. And there is something sacred and important around that tending, even if like way down the road, it's kind of like, quote unquote, all in vain. You know, like, yeah, like we we maintain this body breathe briefly and you know against our best efforts it atrophied and eventually met its demise and it does also there is a little bit of relaxation for me understanding that life is something like energetic and abstract like yeah there's my life and there's my expression of life but like life itself as a concept will take care of itself and I'm like I'm just a piece along for a part
2: mm-hmm I wanted to offer another one of these quotes a way of answering your question about how these things are together which is um too much joy i swear is lost in our desperation to keep it it reminds me what molly was saying about how like you know we're like projecting all of these futures we're thinking about how to make things better for later um how to accumulate things how to give us good experiences in the future that it's difficult to be present in even a happy moment? Because I think often some part of us is thinking, like, will I be happy like this again? How do I have more of this? How do I make it so that I never feel the pain or the grief ever again? But, you know, paradoxically, when you seek to filter out emotions what ends up happening is you just feel less of everything and so if you're hoping to filter out the pain and the grief then you also feel less joy and you feel less beauty and you feel less of all of the other things
0: i think there's a lot of hubris in how we like try to filter and shape life sometimes when things are really bad for me or like when I'm wrapped up in story, it does help to just be like, life is totally absurd. Like no one actually knows what we're supposed to be doing here. Like, you know, we all think like the goal is like enlightenment or self-development or like some people maybe think the goal is like leaving behind a legacy or like accumulating wealth. And like, who the fuck knows? Like maybe the goal is actually to be a really great alcoholic. Like maybe the goal is to like waste your life away. Or maybe the goal is to like, feel all the pain and suffering, you know, like the person who has suffered the most, wait, like who the hell actually knows like what the down point is. And a lot of times our experiences of joy are unconsciously oriented around like what we have unconsciously decided the point of life is, or like how close we are to like success or shavata or whatever. So I think like, I, a lot of times I'm just like, life is, I, I don't actually know what the answer is supposed to be so everything that i think is right and wrong is that only goes you know as far as my own subjective assessment maybe the conservatives are right or like not to make it political but like you know (laughs) um
3: who knows i gotta jump in here and tell you guys one of my ideas And there's no part of me that's suggesting this is the truth. Like I'm not going to write a book and say, this is the truth, but I love this idea. And that is that our souls sign up. Like, you know, like if you're a really great actress, you want to play all the different roles. And like, that's part of being a great actress. You want to play the villain and you want to play the victim and you want to play the, like all of it. And I'm like, I love the idea that we signed up and this is the role I wanted to experience. And, you know, you can take it to the extreme, like you were saying, and the role is to learn something, but maybe not. Maybe I signed up to have this experience and where it's gotten a little bit funny for me, is I can imagine, like things are really peaceful with my ex-husband and I now, but when I was working through some like anger toward him, I imagined us like high-fiving behind the scenes. Like you nailed that you know, whereas in the, in life we were having this kind of moment and I just hated him. And then like imagining like in some cosmic behind the scenes, I'm like, oh my God, you nailed that role. Like you did such a good job playing the asshole, (laughs) but often, and then, yeah. And then it also gave me peace around like some of the things that I've like decisions I've made and ways that I've harmed people. And it gives me like some peace to even imagine, like, They signed up to play the role they played. And again, that's not to let me off of the hook. It's around unhooking me from shame or unhelpful narratives or stories that keep me in an energy that perpetuates actual harm versus I'm free and now I can create something new. So that's my weird idea that you inspired me to share, (laughs) Celestina.
1: I like it and and cuz I listen to a lot of these NDEs a lot of people say exactly that that they experience in their experience whatever it is they meet and communicate with uh, with like a people that they've had interactions with like that that is very that is very much a part of a lot of those experiences a greater understanding of what that experience was for, and why you had it. And without judgment, without like, this was the right role to play, this was the wrong role to play, but that it was the experience itself was was something that was to be had.
0: Oh my God. That's totally like evolutionary astrology really. It's something I've studied because I study astrology and it's very similar. Like there's this idea that there's this capital S self that is trying on like multiple personalities or multiple lives. And it is about like being like, okay, yeah. Like if I am like really identified with Celestina in this one life, like, of course, this is going to feel really sucky and scary. But if I can think of myself as like, I'm a player who loves video games and I picked this video game because I wanted the challenge. Like I wanted this exact experience of this video game. Then there is like a, and I do think it's like, let's not go too crazy, right? Because like, let's not use this framework to bypass like sexual abuse or like violence. But if it's helpful for you in the moment, not even as like a life philosophy, but just to like play with this idea and find some spaciousness, like Molly, to your point, like it's always coming back to like, what is actually helpful in the here and now, you know, like then yeah, it's a fun concept to play with who cares if it's right or wrong no one will never actually know
3: right right I think and that's where it comes back to like loosening wherever there's constriction around a story the opposite being loosen it up what else can be true what else can be happening here and oh this other else these other things feel so much better and they give me some They might give me some tread. Um, They might give me relief or softness, spaciousness. You know, we get to, we get to choose. Um,
2: There's not
3: a fixed story.
2: Mm -hmm. I was going to say the image that came up for me when you said that is a story almost like it has its own gravity like it's almost like a black hole that like pulls filter Mm. pulls things from your present reality into it Mm -hmm. and then it makes it really difficult to actually see the actual like warp and weft of the like reality that you're in because it's getting distorted by the gravity of it
0: oh i love that's very powerful and beautiful i like that image a lot The thing that I was going to reply to Molly is it's interesting because I was back at the beginning of the conversation again, just remembering like how attached I felt to story and how reluctant I felt to let it go. And this like little piece of even just allowing yourself to like just telling yourself, like, if you want to continue being attached to that story, that's great. Like you can have it back. Just like can how willing are you to do this little thought experiment now? Like, knowing that, like, if it doesn't work or if you're not feeling it, like, you can go right back into your story. Like, you don't actually have to um, let go of it. Yeah. Okay. Let's wrap. (laughs) We could keep talking forever. And also we have been on a journey as these conversations, which is the exciting thing about these conversations. I feel like every single conversation we have like this, it is such like an amazing journey. And how do we, how do we close?
2: You know, I feel like for this conversation, rather than offering sort of like tools, cause it's not really like a wrap up kind of conversation, just to each talk briefly about what we're thinking about as we're coming out of this conversation would feel really good.
0: Mm. I will say, I like that you said the word tools because one thing, one point that I was kind of thinking about at the beginning of the conversation was like, when we overemphasize tools or we're like, we have so many tools, like one of them should work. Like I just have to find the right tool or apply the right tool for the right situation. And Molly, you had said something about like, you know, when I've used up all my tools and I'm still in this place of like, it quote unquote, not being fixed, what then? And I remember thinking like, oh, that's actually really beautiful. You know, like it's beautiful when none of the tools work because then there you are with the thing and you haven't been able to make the thing go away or to fix the thing. So you have to be with the thing. And again, it's like, is there anything actually wrong? And like, what am I meant to do here with this thing? Like, maybe it's actually okay. Let me just be here now with the thing that none of the tools worked for. So I guess that's my takeaway is about like, oh, let's not put too much emphasis on how the tools are meant to save us or how it's important to have tools. Sometimes it's actually great when the tools don't work or when we don't have the tools in like a weird way that I'm not sure I'm completely landed in. Totally. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That
3: reminds me of just like a year. I was thinking about this the other night, about a year and a half ago, I wanted money to invest in a particular certification. I wanted it so badly. And if I'd had the money, I'd have done it. And now I look back and I'm like, I am so glad I did not have that money. And that's not to be like moralistic. Like, it on a bow but it's just like we have this very limited we don't know and so i wanted my marriage to be saved i wanted it so desperately and it wasn't and i love my life and it's very messy and there's tons and tons of pain that i've been through and there's reverberations of that pain still and i'm okay and i love Here, like we just sometimes things don't work how we want them to work just like you were saying and then we are where we are and then we don't know what that's going to mean
1: i like the idea of a practice a little bit of a practice of just checking in with myself and noticing that i'm okay
2: I think for me, even though I was anti-tool, the tool that's coming up is just, I've been practicing allowing myself to feel small bits of discomfort. For instance, when you're standing in line and you want to reach for your phone because you're bored and annoyed and frustrated and just letting myself have a few moments where I'm like, with that feeling and it helps me realize all of the other things or times when I'm doing things to escape a feeling, only to realize that the feeling itself is actually like pretty tolerable. I think I think this is going back to what you were saying about stories. I think stories and layers get built up around things that I don't wanna feel, and then that cues all of these other actions. When in fact, feeling the thing itself, for instance, knowing that death is going to happen at some point becomes like the pathway to taking the actions you wanna be taking.
0: Yeah. I think as long as we're mentioning tools like this death meditation is like, so I'm like, I'm. this is actually feels like intense, but also helpful. And I agree you know, not to keep this going, but just something that's been up in my world really intensely is this idea of like building distress tolerance, like how life isn't actually about achieving happiness. Maybe, maybe it's about like better and better and more and more skillful distress tolerance. So I love that. Your little, very practical and actually joy. I I totally do that too. It's like, notice when I want to reach for my phone and just be like, Nope, it's actually not that bad. What would someone in the eighteen hundreds do? <laughs> I
3: think I think the evidence or the research, you know, if we want to get nerdy about it, resilience is the um that's resilience. And we're very much about like pain avoidance, which means we're like it's the equivalent of never going to the gym. So you're not ever building muscle, Um, rupture, repair, rupture, repair, rupture, repair actually is resilience. And to be able to move through life and to be able to tolerate discomfort because it's going to be there. Even when you get your dream house, you know, and that's, we've all had those experiences where we got the thing we really wanted. And then we found out like, Oh, and there's still all kinds of discomfort. It's like, Oh shit
0: wow way to bring it around molly that was really beautiful i think that tied it up in a bow because i was i remember th- when amy you were telling your story i was like classic you get yeah. your like the the exact thing that you wanted and then they're still <laughs> like shit in a way that you wouldn't expect so yeah yep surprise here you are still alive still a human Thanks for listening to another episode of the Pocket Change Collective. If you'd like to submit a question for us to answer and to learn more about the members of the Pocket Change Collective, please visit the links in the show notes. And if you loved this episode, please like, review, and subscribe so we can reach more people wanting change. Remember to check and see if you can make our group coaching call the evening of Wednesday, November 1st. It's only $7 to be coached one-on-one by Molly Celestina and Amy and be witnessed by supportive community until next time bye for now